0: Scripture reading this morning will be from Acts 7, starting in verse 58, and I'm going through 60. Acts 7, 7, 58 through 60. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their cloths at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned stoned Stephen as he he was calling on on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he he had said this, he fell on the sleep. He fell asleep.
1: Good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. We are very thankful for our elders and very thankful for Brother Charles and his family being added. Brother Charles to the eldership. Certainly look forward to serving with him and with the other elders as well. Uh, sometimes when I stand up to preach I'm focused I'm so locked in that I forget things and I know that many people did the Bible reading I forgot that at eight o'clock and there were many people who read through the New Testament in 30 days and maybe some hadn't done that before so I certainly want to say thank you for joining me in that and congratulations I know you're very excited that you were able to do that and some may be here today as well this morning someone else mentioned secondly that what do we do next It's a great question, and I have the answer now. I did not have the answer before, though, but I have it now, and I'm holding in my hand the next reading. It is the major prophets, and we're five days late, sorry, but very likely you got behind in the first 30 days and you caught up, so you can do it again. I'm glad to help you with that challenge. Uh, But that's what we'll do, and if you'll see me, I'll get you one of these, and we can do that as well. We have been talking about change, and this is our final uh, installment in this series on the subject of change. And uh, we've said so far that change is doable, that it's possible to change. It's something that can be accomplished. We then noted, secondly, that change is difficult. And I think everybody who's tried it would admit that. If it were easy, we would have all done it already, but it's difficult, and that's fine because we like difficult, we can make it through difficult. God designed the world that way. You know it's difficult for a chicken to break out of an egg. It's difficult, but it's doable, and uh, we get to eat them. So uh, (laughs) change—let me break out. Change is doable. Change is difficult. Change can be deceptive. We talked about that, and that brings us to our uh, fourth and final installment on this series, and that is change— Is transformative. Uh, If you like alliteration, you should hear change makes you different. This will be different than what it was. The word transformative is defined as causing or able to cause an important and lasting change in someone or something. That's what we've been talking about. There is a synonym for uh, transformation, and that is developmental. Now, I'd like to give you that definition, too, because it's important. This word means pertaining to or characteristic of the process of development. So here's a mistake that people make I'd like for you to avoid, and that is they put the development before the transformation. They think about change. They talk about change. And when they do that, they often start to develop. And instead of change, they actually try to be a better version of themselves. The result is they get stuck in development, and they never reach transformation. So to avoid that, understand that first comes transformation, then comes development. Another synonym is rebirth. And so scripturally, what this looks like is, First, salvation. That would be transformation. Paul says we are a new creation. That's different. And then comes sanctification. That's development. It's the process. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. First, transformation. Then, then the development. Change, our final point, is transformative. Our example of that is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus transformed. And to see that transformation, we need to begin with his past. And as you look at this individual, there are several things about him that's noteworthy in the New Testament. Among them is, this was a Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 5 and verse number 6, Paul says, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, that he came from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he says, a Pharisee. That word means separatist. And so, he was the most extreme end. He was really committed and dedicated to his father's religion, he will say. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, he says he was blameless. So, here is an individual, and that's his past. With regards to how he acted then within that past, he says he was a persecutor. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 13, again, describing himself as he looks backward on his life, he says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious— but I obtained mercy because I did in ignorance and unbelief. He did all of that with a pure conscience, Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1. Paul says, earnestly looking to the council, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Try to appreciate where he is and who he is. Here is a man who was a Hebrew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was part of that religion that God gave at Sinai. He was from that lineage. He was of those people. Not only that, he was committed, absolutely dedicated to that cause, a Pharisee. Insofar as his life, he says, I was blameless and I had a clear conscience. In other words, when Saul of Tarsus went out and he searched and sought out and found Christians— When he arrested them with the authority he had behind him, when he brought them before the council and he demanded that they blaspheme the name of Jesus, and when and if they did not, he gave his voice against them and they were put to death? When he went home at night and he went to bed, he did so with a clear conscience. He thought it was the right thing to do, and he did it with ferocity and vehemence, and he was absolutely committed and he was being praised for it. He was prominent. He was an individual that stood out within his peer group. We might say of Saul, he was climbing the corporate ladder. He says as much. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse number 13 and 14, he says to his audience, you have heard of my conversation, the way I lived in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And, he says, profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more zealous of the traditions of my fathers, a prominent past, a pure conscience, a persecutor, a Pharisee, and he changed. Saul was transformed. How did he change, and how can we change? One more quick note before we get to how he changed, and that is, according to Scripture, he is a model of change. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse number 13 through 17, again, as he looks backward on his life and talks about his coming to know the Lord, he says, "'Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent,' But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, of whom I am foremost. When it comes to sinners, Paul says, I'm the head of the line. But I received mercy. For this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is effectively saying that God allowed and changed me to use me as a model for everybody else. To change in fact we might say it in these words if Saul could change well then anybody can change how did he do it point number one how do we change how did Saul change he learned new information in Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse number 3 the Bible says of Saul as he journeyed he came near Damascus And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and this shall be told thee what thou must do. He's learned new information. But it comes with challenge. The challenge to change can come from those who know our past. You see, when our Lord was appearing to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he was telling him to go into the city, the Lord also appeared to a man in the city. That man was named Ananias. And Jesus is telling him, go to Saul. And Ananias said to the Lord, do you know this man? (laughs) Amazing to think that you and I could ask the Lord if he knows something, but that's what Ananias does. And here's what Ananias knows about Saul. He knows his past. Ananias is not convinced. Sometimes that happens to us. We might be ready to change. I'm all in. I got it. And then somebody who knows you before says, "Ah." Mm. It can come from thinking you're right. Challenge can also come from a confrontation of ideas, because that's what's going to happen. This new information is going to conflict with what you previously know. And if you have long-held ideas or ideas that have never before been challenged, you've just always believed them and accepted them. Now this new information comes in and it provides a challenge. Change also demands humility. The ability to be corrected and instructed are key components to change. Saul of Tarsus could do that. He's not the only one, though. when When I thought about that, Moses is just a wonderful example of somebody who had accomplished great things, and yet he could be instructed. Moses, the one who delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses, the one who met God on Sinai and received the law written with the finger of God. Moses, who crossed the Red Sea, parted it, crossed it, and brought God's people to safety. And here Moses was doing a job of judging God's people. And his father-in-law said, the thing you're doing is not good. And Moses listened. Moses is called the meekest man on the earth. Life is ultimately about listening. And that's where wisdom is, according to Proverbs 1. Let me ask a question. How is your humility? I suppose on some level you shouldn't tell me. That might bring it into question. You heard about the man who received the uh, medal for humility and then had it taken back because he wore it. (laughs) How are you at receiving instruction? How often have you been told about the area of change you need to make? And what's been your response to that? Saul was on his way to hunt Christians and to find them and arrest them and kill them. He met the Lord and he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? In order to change, you must learn new information. But secondly, Paul changed his thinking. In Acts chapter 26 and verse number 6, he is standing before Agrippa and giving a defense for the reason he's there and what he stands in hope of. And as he does that, he looks backward again on his previous life when he was Saul. And he says, beginning in verse number 9, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope, say King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. What's the hope? He continues. Why should it be thought an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? And then he says this, I verily thought with myself that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The, The new information is contradictory to the old information. The thinking about the item in question is what must change. For the apostle Paul, it was Jesus. Jesus went from someone to destroy to someone to die for. He changed his thinking. Our thoughts about the item in question have to change. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. For some, it's food. need to change your thinking about that. For others, it's sex, some drugs, others gossip, stealing, lying. Doesn't matter the option. Our thoughts about the item is what keeps us from changing. Instead of thinking of it correctly, we've developed an incorrect thought about the thing. And if we persist in thinking that, we'll hurt ourselves with this item, but we'll convince ourselves that we need it and it's good for us. So let me ask, what do you think about the thing you need to change? And are you willing to change your thinking about that thing? Have you received new information? but rejected it in order to not change. There are some people who are as resisting of change as the person offering the change. I just don't want it. Paul changed his thinking. Number three, Paul changed his beliefs. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. There is a section of Scripture here. You you and I could read it, and we could talk about this for some length of time. In fact, you could, this whole first chapter of Colossians, but really from 13 onward, there is so much wonderful information said about our Savior, written by inspiration by the Apostle Paul. Among the things he says about Jesus, he says, beginning in verse 13, he says, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, his beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then he says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities of, You know what? Saul of Tarsus did not believe this about Jesus. Saul of Tarsus said he was a blasphemer. Of who? Not Jehovah. Jesus. He was a persecutor. He was injurious. He thought Jesus was a fake. He thought Jesus was a charlatan. He thought he should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It was his goal in life to stop people from hearing about Jesus. He was trying to kill people for even believing it. He stood and held the coats of an individual who preached Jesus. That's where we find him in Acts chapter 8 or the end of 7. He's holding the coats, and he says, I gave my voice and I consented. What happened? Because now he believes that he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul has changed his beliefs. Thinking is what forms beliefs, and beliefs give rise to actions. The wrong thinking then will lead to the wrong beliefs, which of necessity will lead to the wrong actions. That's the way it works. Let's make some application. Did you know, and of course you did, Jesus is who Paul describes him to be when Saul was trying to stop the name of Christ. It's not the case that Jesus became that because Paul believed it. It's the case that he was always that. Saul just didn't know it. Jesus is the image of God, but he was that when Saul was on the road and met him. Here's what happens very often. Truth doesn't become true because we change and start to believe it. We change when we find the truth and obey it. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What this passage teaches is truth equals freedom. You want to change? Get to the truth. On the other hand, error equals bondage. Question, what is the truth about that thing you need to change? What's the truth about it? Number four, Paul changed his motivation. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 4 beginning, And when you hear the word motivation, please understand, I mean mind. He changed his mind. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason and to have confidence in the flesh, he says, i more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal persecutor of the church, to the righteous under the law, blameless. But here's the point. He says, but what things were gain to me? Why were you doing that, Paul? It was gain to me. It was some benefit to me. I was motivated by that. It was benefit. There was gain. There was profit. There was something in it for me. Now, he says, those things I counted for loss for Christ. He seems to double down by saying, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He changed his mind about Jesus, changed his motivation. In order to change, you have to stop focusing on simply what you're doing. And you have to start addressing why you're doing it. Paul's fleshly religion, his accomplishments, at one point, they were gained to him. He was motivated by following his father's traditions. But when he changed, he counted those things as waste, dung. Literally, he says, I count everything that way. What's your motivation now, Paul, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? What's your mindset now, Paul, to be found in him, approved of him? Christ is now his motivation. Here's the application. If you will change, you must know why you're doing what you're doing. Why do you do what you do? What is your motivation for doing it? The truth is, you could have different motivations for different areas in your life, partly because you wear different hats. You may be a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, a boss, an employee, a brother a sister, all of these different areas of life will have you doing different things, interacting with different people, being motivated by different things. Sometimes you could be motivated by acceptance or anxiety or avoidance. On the other hand, it could be comfort, concern, or coping. Then, too, it could be doubt, despair, or depression. Still, it could be failure, fatigue, or fear, gain, greed, or guilt, love, lust, loneliness, pride, pain, pleasure, sadness, selfishness, slackness. Why do you do what you do? When you address your why, you might also discover your triggers. You fill in the blank. When I feel I — what is it that you do? What triggers you? If I'm struggling with something, then very likely I'm triggered by something, stimulated by something, motivated by something. Next time you reach for the thing you need to change, investigate what preceded your reaching. When we reach for it in this moment, it will reveal a lot about where and on what we need to focus to change. I would like to urge and exhort that we are not animals. And so the ringing of a bell shouldn't prompt us to move. The world doesn't believe that we can change. And so they keep ringing the bells. In fact, you should see marketing on some level as ringing your bell. That's the design. Ring, 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 shop now. The bell rings, so eat now, ring, 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 talk on your phone now. Look at the movies now, binge watch now. The bells keep ringing, fight back now, ding, 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 ding. The bells keep ringing all day long, but we're not animals, and so we shouldn't move by that. On the other hand, God believes we can change, and so he sent Jesus. To a world that was lost in sin so that sinners could become saints. That's what God believes. God knows this to be the case because we're made in His image and we have the capacity. He equipped us with it. But not only that, we can read in Scripture where people did. If you would like to do just a small amount of history on the city of Corinth, just do a small amount of research on the kind of people that were there, the kind of things that were involved, what they had going on, you don't have to do that much research because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul gives us some insight. And he says, ultimately, about all of the sins he lists, and they were sins of the mind and of the heart and of the body. They were everything from drunkenness to adultery to homosexuality. And he says of those individuals, such were some of you. What entered into that city? The Apostle Paul with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened? They changed. So did those in Thessalonica. They once worshiped idols. One of the allurements to idols is you get to be God. The idol actually doesn't tell you anything. You get to be God, and so whatever you want to do, you can do. And then Paul came, reason three Sabbaths out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Jesus is the Christ. And Paul says to that group of individuals, you turned, you converted, you changed from idols to To serve the living God, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. Someone gets married. They change their name. You move to a new house. You change your address. We know what change looks like. You become a Christian, and you change. In fact, you get married to Christ. You change. You become a member of God's family. You change your address. No longer headed to hell. Now you're headed to heaven. You change. As you do so and contemplate that, please avoid this pitfall. What I'm about to tell you simply will not work. It won't. It will not work. But the reason it's alluring and deceptive is that the moment I tell you it will not work, I have to follow that with it will work shortly. So, the reason it's deceptive is it actually will work and you will be able to say, See there, Eric, it does work. Here's what I'm telling you it won't work, it's a trap. Here's what it looks like if you don't change your mind, if you just try to change your action, you will get into this loop where when you change, You'll take everything out of the house you don't want to eat, great. When you change, I'll get everything away from me that I don't want to touch, great. And you will have a little bit of success, and then you'll fail. But because you had a little bit of success, when the failure happens, what you will tell yourself is, I know it works because of that little success, which will embolden you to try harder. And so, you'll have a little success, you'll fail. You'll say, I'll try harder. You'll get back up, you'll go again, have a little success, and you'll fail. And you'll get—you will get trapped into this loop of starting and stopping and starting and stopping. In our vernacular, people say, I was on a yo-yo way of living. We, we say things like— uh, 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 I don't have any more motivation to get started. You hear people say things like, well, I just am done with resolutions. What happened? This is what happened. They got trapped into this loop because they didn't avoid this pitfall. This is actually addressed in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, look at Colossians 2. The brethren are being challenged and bothered with some false doctrine, among which is flesh is evil and you need to make sure you buffet your body and make sure you don't touch the unclean things and make sure you remain holy by distancing yourself and not to change the mind, but to change the action only. the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2 and verse number 20, beginning, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? Why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? One of the ways that people get themselves into this loop is they pronounce things unclean, unholy, it's no good for you, don't touch it. Paul says in another place, all things are good and to be received thanksgiving. Well, which is it? Well, it's not this. But this is the approach. Don't touch it. Get away from it. It's no good. Paul says, if you've died with Christ, why would you subject yourself to that? But then he explains, beginning in verse 22, he says, which all refer to things designed to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure—listen to it—they have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. There is your short-run success. When I say it won't work, you could just go home and say, see, it does work. It has the appearance. That's the trap. It has the appearance of wisdom. Yes, it does work. Eric, you want to stop eating Oreos? Stop buying them. Well, that'll work. If they're not there, obviously you can't eat them. But I didn't change my mind. So how does my car arrive back at Kroger? How is it that I'm back up the aisle? I came for vegetables. I can assure you this. Vegetables are not on the Oreo aisle. Why are you in that part of the store? I don't know. I just somehow got over here. This is, the, this is the approach that will leave you in despair. This is the approach that will leave you Romans 7:24 saying, "Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this?" There's no way out of this. All you're going to do is keep trying harder and you're going to fail, and over time you'll reach the point of saying, "I'm done." Don't talk to me about New Year's resolutions. Why not? They don't work. Don't they? Don't they? They do if you change your mind they don't if you try this try this and by the end of January how how is it gone not very well the answer Paul says these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self abasement and severe treatment of the body please grab the last phrase But they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They have no value. Why not? Mind didn't change. Aren't you glad the book of Colossians doesn't stop at chapter 2? Because the answer is just on the next verses. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse number two, set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immortality, impurity, passion, evil. How does all of that work? I've set my mind. Verse number 1, verse number 2, verse number 20 of chapter 2. I've changed my mind. When I change my mind, I can change. Number 5, my actions. Paul changed his actions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23 beginning, the apostle Paul enumerates some of the things he suffered He's doing that because of the false teachers in in the area and in the church who are harming the church yet again. As they chase behind Paul and everything he said, they tried to unsay. And everything he spoke, they tried to contradict. And Paul says, listen, no, this is the truth. And if you will allow, I'll boast for a little, even though it's foolishness. The part I'd like for you to consider is, listen to the way he's living now as compared to the way he once lived. Again, you remember, he said, I thought I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and I was injurious. He said, I am doing all I can by way of action to stop the name of Christ. And now he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, in labors more abundant in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths, often. For who, Paul? Jesus. Of the Jews, five times I received 30 stripes, save one. 40 stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. He says, I suffered shipwreck a night and the day in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness. And who is following this man to the wilderness? Paul says, Everywhere I went, every aspect of my life, I was in peril. For who? Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Galatian brethren, when he looked back on the church, he says, among Christians, they were only hearing that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. He changed his actions. Friends, you can get new information, you can change your thinking, you can change your beliefs, but if you don't change your actions, you don't change. This is not the same man. He's not doing the same things. He doesn't believe the same things. He's changed his allegiance. He is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. I want to give you Paul's secret to his success, and I would urge it needs to be yours. It's found in Acts chapter 9. We talked about Acts chapter 9 because that's where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Coincidentally, and just for the record, he wasn't saved on that road— in fact, the Lord says very specifically to him, go into the city, and it'll be told you what you must do. And then he told Ananias, go to Saul, and eventually Ananias does go. When he arrives at, at, at Saul and he talks to him, he goes in in verse 17, and Ananias entered in and said unto, the, unto Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in verse 8, number 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Now why are you waiting? Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Arise, be baptized, called in on the name of the Lord. He did that. He got baptized. But notice what else it says in verse 20. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately... He began to proclaim Jesus in the Son of God, saying, He is the Son of God. What's the secret? The first hearing of truth may be the most powerful to induce you to change. The first time you hear the truth. The first hearing of the truth may be the best opportunity you could ever have. The first first time you hear the truth on an area you need to change, it will probably shock you and jar you and arrest you, probably as great as it will ever happen. Consider what happens when people hear diagnoses for the first time. Physically, they go in and see the doctor, and the doctor says, you have fill in the blank." The person reacts to that, and then the doctor says, no, 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 listen. You have it, yes, but it's not life-threatening. All you have to do is change. What do they do then? What about spiritually? You ever sat with somebody telling the gospel, and then the light bulb goes off over their head? You could almost see it. It's so bright. Their reaction is so charged. They say, I'm lost. I came here thinking I was, I'm. I'm, I'm I need to be saved. You can hear it. Let me ask you a question. What happens if they put that off? If the first hearing of truth may be the most powerful, then the first rejection of truth may create the biggest hurdle to change. Question. How long have you known you needed to change? Fill in the blank. When did you first hear it? When did you first realize it? Maybe, maybe you and I were confronted with the need to change. What did we do? If we rejected it, we may still be rejecting it. Could have been five years ago. Could have been 10 years ago. In fact, back then, you could never have seen that you would be rejecting it 10 years ago. For some people, it's going to be a lifetime. In Acts chapter 2, when the apostles preached the first gospel sermon, that truth is so powerful that those individuals who were a few days ago shouting, crucify him, crucify him, they have now been convinced. They've got new information. They've changed their thinking. They've changed their beliefs. And verse 36 says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why do we find so many instances in the book of Acts of people responding to the gospel the first time they hear it? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. About 3,000 souls saved on that day. Go a little further and they preach it again in Acts chapter 3. About 5,000 men obey the gospel. Keep going through the book. See, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? Fell down before their feet. Sirs, what must I do to be baptized? What must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 30, 31. But not everybody had that reaction. Not everybody. Acts 17, Paul stood on Mars Hill and he preached the gospel. They said, you seem to be a setter forth of strange things. We've never heard this. Great, you're getting new information. No. By the end of that, by the end of that, some mocked. They said, I will hear you again concerning this. And Paul left. The Jews rejected Christ so long, for them, for some of them, it would go into eternity. Acts 13:46. Paul said it was necessary needful, that the gospel should be preached to you first. But seeing you put it from yourselves and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. That's not the first time they heard it. They've been rejected over and over and over and over and over again. And now, Paul says, it was going to cost you your eternal life. Truth doesn't change. It just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again. And once it's rejected, it will get easier and easier to reject. Over time, it'll get easier to discredit. It'll get easier to make excuses for the rejection. It'll get easier to dispute, to distort, and even lie about it. How do I know that's exactly what happened to the Jews? John 1:12, the Bible says, He came to His own, and His own received him not. Question, what came to Him? Who came to Him? The truth did. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me, what did they do? They rejected the truth. They lied on the truth, they envied the truth, they betrayed, they denied, they beat, they spit upon the truth, and at last, they murdered the truth and buried the truth. Strange thing about the truth, though, the truth rose from the dead. Whatever we need to change, the truth continues to rise from the grave we keep trying to bury it in. That's why five years later, the same change needs to be changed, truth didn't change. You tried to bury it, truth just keeps rising. 10 years ago, I needed to, truth just keeps rising. The reason we are struggling today is likely it's because we rejected the truth when we first heard it. That was our greatest opportunity for Saul immediately. For us, ah, I hear you again concerning that. Five years later, 10 years later, some people have gone on into eternity needing the change. Let me offer some final tips. Start small. Tip number one, change something small. A small change can lead to big changes. That's what a wise man told me. Start small, and the success of that, use that to do other things. Great advice. Next, use Thanksgiving as a springboard for change. It's amazing how easy it is for us to take things for granted. Just easy. So, start with thanksgiving. Thank God for your senses. You still have them? Can you see and smell? I've heard people who lost their smell. Very sad if you like food. You got yours? Thank God. Thank God for mobility. Can you still move freely? Can you? Thank God for salvation. Thank God for your family. If you aren't thankful, what could happen is you could spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. And you could spend a lot of time telling yourself everything that's wrong with you and with your life. Thank God for your family, if you have one. Thank God for your spouse. Stop longing for what you don't have. Be content with what you do have. I didn't invent the phrase, you know that, but somebody said the grass is always greener on the other side. Somebody else said that's because fertilizer is over there. (laughs) Listen, it may not be as good as you think it is. It may not be. And don't think for one second that because somebody has more, they don't have troubles. That because somebody has more doesn't mean they need to change. I've never been one, but I'm just guessing. I imagine there's some sad millionaires. What do you think? I imagine there's some millionaires with one that's really looking down the road at a guy who's got five, thinking, man, if I could only get four more, I'd really be something. It doesn't matter how much you have. Be content with what you have. Don't accept the way things are. Do not accept it. Don't say to yourself, I can't change and There's just be this way, and, and I, 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 nothing I can do about it. Please don't accept that. Instead, pray. And read and meditate on God's Word. Number next, commit to being like Jesus. I told the first service this morning as I was riding over here in my truck, I was thinking about our Lord, thinking about the sermon, and I was just thinking to myself, wow, I got a lot more stuff than Jesus. Man, I came here, got out of a house and walked out to a truck and had the back around two or three others and got on the road and drove here. Nice suit. Now I was just thinking, wow, look at all this. Stuff. You know what Jesus said about himself? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man, the one who made it all, doesn't have a place to lay his head. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Number next, take a test. Find out who you are. There's some tools out there. There's Myers-Briggs. There's Jong. There's the Enneagram. What makes you you? Do some research. Find out. A lot of things go into play. There's birth order. There's home life. There's your parents and their marriage. There's trauma. There's financial stability. As you are growing, a lot of these things go into developing who you are. A lot of these things are the reason you are triggered by what you're triggered. Do some research. Find out some things about yourself and add this into it If necessary. Get some professional help. Seek out a Christian counselor. Get somebody to help you. And start now. Change is doable. But change is difficult. And change can be deceptive for a myriad of reasons. But when it's accomplished, change ultimately means we're different. Because change is transformative. Transformative. The Apostle Paul is held up as an example that if a man could be a pharisaical Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a persecutor of the church, a killer of Christians, and he could become the author human by inspiration of at least 13 New Testament books. And we can see just what change looks like. If you're not a Christian, the greatest change you need to make is to become one. To be transformed into the kingdom of God's dear son. Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. You need to do that. Saul came to. Repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Saul did that. He confessed the name of Christ and he was baptized. The Bible says he did that immediately. Friends, if you've never done that, you need to. That is the greatest change you need to make in life. But if you are his child, you have within you the capacity and the ability. You are not flesh. You are a spirit housed in a fleshly body. And it is the spirit that can commune with the God of heaven, the Father of spirits. You can change. If you need to, we invite you as we stand and as we sing.